Welcome to Geological's mini-series dedicated to sports and orthopedic acupuncture. For the next few days, I'll be bringing you several podcasts a day from the Sports Acupuncture Alliance's conference in San Jose, California. In addition to interviews and discussions with speakers of the conference, you'll also be hearing from participants and you'll have a special front row seat at a roundtable conversation around the issues of running a sports medicine practice. The Sports Acupuncture Alliance was created to promote the study and practice of sports and orthopedic acupuncture. I'm delighted that they were willing to partner with Geological to bring you this mini-series so that those of you who were not able to attend the conference could learn from the speakers as well as the participants and to get a taste of what it's like to be here at this special event. Please enjoy these discussions and take what you learn here and use it in your clinic. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast 
share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Hi, I'm here with Whitfield Reeves, who's one of the speakers here at the Sports Acupuncture Alliance's conference. Hey, Whit, you've been doing acupuncture since 1981. That is a long time. I'm curious, what are some of the changes and some of the trends that you're seeing with sports acupuncture these days? Well, I would say the biggest thing that comes to mind is that the patient is very different in in this era than the patient was in 1981. In 1981, the patient presented signs and symptoms very differently, and and the evolution of the disease and the and the pathophysiology was very different, even just 30 years ago. Very much so. And what were you seeing back then that's different than today? Well, nobody had a computer. So there was no keyboarding. <laughs> there were no uh-huh. devices. People weren't on electronics, you know. And and so number one, we had uh, we did not have the postural component of the rhomboid minors engaging to retract the scapula, pull the scapula back. And we didn't have problems with the forward head looking down at devices. So that's one huge piece. And people didn't sit as long and often in in desks. A lot of people had real jobs and worked and did things, you know. Now people moved more. There was a whole different movement diet. Absolutely. You know, and I just read an article three days ago about it was Jamba or one of the one of the major journals that was looking at exercise. And they actually concluded that it didn't matter if you moved a little bit or if you did intense cardio, sweating, burning, if you ran a marathon or if you walked down to the store, the difference in health by the various ways they were measuring it was not that great. And so back then, people were moving much more and a desk job where you just sat all day long was was much less common and so the the gluteus medius is what comes to mind of a muscle that gets turned off in the seated position and so now we've got all these back problems all of these uh, degenerative disc disease all these bulging discs and deterioration of the lower lumbar spine and you just didn't see that in 1981 like that you you saw people who were shoveling 
you know, and lifting and they hurt, they strain their back from lifting and twisting, but not from slightly moving. That was the, you know, straw that broke the camel's back from someone who, who's been sitting at a desk job for 10 years, you know, programming a computer with their head forward. And that's a huge, huge difference. So it sounds like what's happening is people are moving less. We have very different physiologies and we're in many ways much weaker than we were back in the 80s. Do I have that right? Is that, is that what's going on? Uh, I, I would say you have that partially right. We are weaker in certain very key places like the muscles that retract the shoulders, pull the shoulders back, the muscles that pull the head back, the muscles that stabilize the pelvis, that get inactivated by sitting. But in other areas that were hugely stronger, as many people work out and train and CrossFit is an example. So it isn't quite so, uh, it's not like we're weaker, but we're weaker in very key postural areas. And if someone doesn't work on that, if they're not in Pilates or in yoga or some sort of discipline where that gets addressed, it becomes problematic, hugely problematic. So, so the injuries are different these days. Yes and no. There is, for instance, in 1981, I did not know how to treat the rhomboid minor or the gluteus medius to activate and stabilize the shoulder, neck and shoulder, or the lumbar spine. I just didn't know how to do it. And I didn't think about doing it because it didn't seem like that was what was uh, presenting, but I well could have not been educated enough at that time, learned enough to know that. Well, there, there certainly is that. We learn as we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the other thing, and I think this is also very important, is that the prolonged exposure to what I would call artificial environment. I mean, in a sense, I'm really a Taoist and I love being in nature. And I love like being in California. I go to the sequoias and I just lay on the ground next to one of those massive trees and the energy is just incredible. And so I love nature and I see that in the Taoist tradition, how important the, the, or the union of heaven and earth is the human. And as we don't have enough earth because we're sitting in chairs and offices with artificial climate control and fluorescent lights and the sort, we get imbalanced. And I think that what happens is the neurologic system starts overreacting to to any stimulus. You can see the overreaction just in the personality of people who have gotten shorter and agitated and angry in relationships where one of the two spouses is overreacting to the other spouse. And, and so you can see this kind of behavior in this combativeness. And on a physio physiological level, we're talking about neurologic overbearing or, or, or over uh, reaction to stimulus. So somebody gets a 
in a strain of, of, of as in tennis elbow. And in 1981, tennis elbow, three treatments, and the patient was fixed. Now, you get a tennis elbow patient on a computer programmer, and you don't know if it's going to take six months to get this person uh, fixed. And so the, the neurologic system, I think, has reacted and has overreacted and created pockets of stagnation all over the body, wherever wherever things are not right posturally or from injury, trauma, repetitive stress, and the sort. And so you get pockets of chi and blood stagnation, which then gets to your original question, what's different? And what's different is in 1981, Master Tong and the the empirical points of Chinese medicine, of Chinese acupuncture, were marvelously effective. They were just brilliant. You know, one, two needle treatments and people get fixed. And every decade, it's gotten about 10% less effective. And so 10, 20 years into this, the, the many of these points, uh, for me, and I'm only talking my experience, I don't know what somebody else does, but my experience is that those stagnations are so fixed that you can't go to a distal point and move the chi because there's no blood flow getting into that area uh, where the pain and the stagnation and, you know, the injury has occurred. And so no chi, no blood, you know, no blood, no chi. I mean, it sounds like local treatment's really helpful. You get in there and bust that up. I'm really struck here what you're saying about this overreaction of the neurological system because what it sparks in my mind is increasingly we see lots of autoimmune disease as well. Exactly. There and that sounds like just the other side of an over-amped neurological system. The system's just sort of turning on itself. It does not know what to do with itself. Absolutely. I think it's the same mechanism. And I know so little about internal medicine that uh, I couldn't speak knowledgeably about that. But I think you've got it precisely articulated, yes. Well, so that leads me to this question. Knowing something about internal medicine or not, it sounds like you've got your eye on this. You're working with it. You see it's present. Uh, You're taking that into consideration in the work you do. So what are you doing to help dial down the nervous system so that people can have enough stillness to maybe move some chi and blood and have a little quiet time to actually heal. Oh boy, you're uh, you're asking the impossible. You know, I mean, how do we ask our patients to live in a way that's different than the dictates of our current culture? It's very, very complicated. It's very, very difficult, and I have reached the place where I just don't feel like I can change that. You know, the psyche, uh, the communal psyche of this country, especially, is such that, you know, I can't change that. I can't change the way people are reacting to the world because of these powerful forces of greed and, and, and consumption and the sort. So I just try to fix pain and I 
if the patient will listen to me, I'll try to uh, get them to go on a vacation or maybe even meditate if, if they're open to this. But I don't have a solution for that. The ultimate problem that you're talking about, I don't know. So I just have to exist within the confines of what I'm given and I do the best that I can. And it just isn't as easy as it was 30 years ago. Right. So you don't add in some sort of spirit points or, or do something that tries to dial down the reactivity. You're working on the blood and chi of the presenting problem and letting that sort of uh, reverberate through the system. Pretty much, yeah. If I think that a patient really needs internal medicine, of course they all do. I, I refer them out. I, I'm not skilled enough to do a good job of point selection and, of course, herbal prescribing. So I'll refer that out. That's the best that I can do. But I do love the formula Jiawei Xiaoyaosan. I mean, Jiawei Xiaoyaosan to me is the formula of the era. You know, it, it harmonizes the liver. It clears the heat in the liver. It, it, it nourishes some of the liver. It does a lot towards addressing this neurological stress sort of related reaction in the body. So uh, of any one formula, that, that just stands out as just, you know, a, a really great way to start with, with someone. But yeah, we all, we all have our favorites for those, yeah. don't we? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of a uh, Chai Hu Shugan San guy myself. Well, they're so, both of those are so close, you know, so similar. They are. Yeah. They are. And, and I do use that formula, by the way, often as a, depending on the patient. So yes, that all fits into that category of harmonizing. You know, it's so reassuring and validating to hear what you say that people are, are different today than they were back in the eighties. I mean, I remember before screens, right. Oh, yeah. and, you know, we all had this little computer in our hand and certainly I, I watch what it's done to people's attention. I watch what it does to their posture. I mean, you describe it really well with, with what it does to the rhomboids and neck postures and things like that. You've seen these incredible changes that tech, it's like we're co-evolving with technology and it's, it's having a big impact on our physiology. So it leads me to, to wondering about what else about acupuncture and maybe orthopedic in particular, because this is your, uh, your sweet spot and the thing you love. What are some things about acupuncture that you now believe that you didn't believe 10 years ago? Wow. Uh, good question. Well, I, I get down to very simple things. And so my work is very simple. Anybody who's taken my uh, acupuncture sports medicine apprenticeship program knows that I, I sift things down to very simple, easy to understand assessments and treatments. So what stands out to me is the power of the acupuncture needle that when it is put in the right place, precisely to the millimeter in the right place, 
that whatever the barrier is to the flow of blood in this area of stagnation, that the, the, the well-placed needle is absolutely miraculous. So that generally speaking, treatments don't take six to 10 treatments cumulatively to fix something. It often takes one treatment and that treatment might happen on the first day or it might happen on the 10th day, depending upon your fortune and, and your karma and your skill and what it is you're doing. But the precision of all of it is what has kind of marked the last 10 years for me. And I was criticized uh, in a doctoral program teaching that I was too Eurocentric. Uh, and I am a white guy, you know, I'm really white, you know, so I could understand some of my work may appear Eurocentric, but I spent uh, a little bit of time saying, okay, I have to listen to this criticism or critique, and I have to really look at it. So I, I dug into a very simple uh, text by Mao Xing Ni, Master Ni's son, uh, his translation of the Huangdi Neqing Su Wen. And I just started reading through stuff. And I, I always have this quote right in my hand. I have it in my hand right now. And this is one little section where Chi Po says, what is meant by acupuncturing the bone level, but not injuring the tendons? And the emperor respond, uh, responds, the physician responds, when needling deeply, do not stop at the level of the tendons before reaching the bone level. Go all the way in one breath or a series of breaths, depending on your technique, but reach that depth without removing the needle. When needling to the depth of the tendons, one can avoid injuring the muscles by inserting past them. This logic follows with each specific level. The needle must go to the proper depth. Any depth other than the correct one, will cause undesirable effects. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. This is the precision you're talking about. This is the precision. Now, I have no idea what all of that all of that meant above of getting needling past the tendons and et cetera, et cetera. And it went on and on in ways that I couldn't understand it. But I did understand that each of these layers of anatomical tissue 
were being clearly described and that the needle must go to the proper depth and any other one than the correct will cause undesirable effects. That's what struck me. And I went, you know what? What we're doing is traditional Chinese medicine through and through and, and Eurocentric or not, everything we're doing is backed up in the classics. So how is it that you were accused of being Eurocentric? Oh, so many, you know, so many people love when you have to feel the pulse or you have to treat the Zongfu. You're not really going to the, the problem. People forget this simple fact. The cause of disease it can be exogenous, wind, heat, cold, damp, etc. The causes of disease can be endogenous, the emotions, or the cause of disease is other. And in the other causes of disease are accident and trauma. And people are always trying to go to look at the Zongfu, the, the emotional state, trying to find this root, you know, this Zongfu root for this disease when the cause of disease is trauma. Treat the trauma. Treat the trauma, yeah. Or just treat the, I mean, one of the great things that Dr. Tan would always talk about is forget the Zongfu. What's the channel that's involved? What is the tissue that's involved? Yeah. And get that dialed in. And I, I'm, I, I need to criticize that uh, or critique that from the standpoint that that was very effective 30 years ago. But if you get on the right channel, the right meridian, but the, the, the trauma or the stagnation it is fibrotic and walled off from the rest of the body, you can activate that channel, but it's not going to get better if there's no blood flow and therefore no chi into that pocket of, say, if it's a tendonitis or a tendinosis with fibrosis, you know, so... That is what has changed so much of my thinking, that the meridians are, are no longer, for me, as functional as they used to be when I first got into practice. Just put in a couple of distal points and patients better. Now it's like, well, that's not working because there's fibrosis and stagnation that is so enclosed and no longer integrated into the system of the body and that need, that local area needs to be opened up with that totally makes sense I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about some cases in my own clinic and i'm thinking wow yeah i mean and sometimes i can palpate and, it, and it, you know i mean you can feel this gooey stuff or there's areas really striated yep. things like yep. that so so what do you do? Is this a matter of distal and local or is there, are you using palpation? How do you suss out these pockets of stagnation and liberate them? Uh, I love the language, suss them out and liberate them. I would say that in order to understand where that stagnation is, uh, orthopedic testing is more reliable than any other way of assessment that I know in general. So for instance, if you have a tendonitis or you have a, you have a nodule on a tendon and you've got, you know, you've got, a, you've got pain, 
you know, in the tendon and what have you. You can needle above and below on the meridian and nothing happens. And, and it's because of this fibrotic nodule. But in this particular case, actually, I'm talking in circles. But this particular case is very clear because you find the lesion, you palpate the lesion, and treatment is fairly simple. If above and below and distal aren't fixing that, then there's no, there's no blood you have to needle locally. However, what about the things like a rotator cuff injury that refers pain out into the deltoid? You can needle the deltoid, LI-15, LI-14, Sanjiao-14, Sanjiao-13. You can needle the deltoid till the cows come home, and it's not going to fix the problem. The problem is back in the supraspinatus or the infraspinatus in the Taiyang area of the body. And so by orthopedic testing, you can determine that there's dysfunction in, say, the supraspinatus. That's just my favorite muscle, and that's what always comes up. There's dysfunction in the supraspinatus, and then you translate that into Jinglo. That's the Taiyang meridian, small intestine 12. And then you look for where those nodules or stagnations or trigger points or what have you are within the context of that muscle tendon unit. It could be tendon, it could be muscle, it could be muscle belly, it could be muscle tendon junction, but at least you know about where the stagnation is. So you're not wasting your time needling into tissue that's really actually not the problem. Right, like you said, you gotta be precise. And so the meridian idea works great when the problem, the pain is on the meridian and everything lays out perfectly. But when you have a referral pattern going from one area to a whole other area, the meridian becomes exceedingly uh, ineffective. And, and I would say how I came about this was that in my early years, 81, 82, 83 of treating patients, I would needle bladder 23, bladder 25, bladder 40, bladder 60 to treat back pain, lumbar pain, and it wasn't very effective. As a matter of fact, it was really less than placebo, you know? And little by little, as I came to understand things, uh, meeting Janet Travell in 1983 certainly helped significantly, you know, tune my attention to the muscles and trigger points in the anatomy and, and, the, and, the, and the function of those muscles, that you would then realize that much of back pain is due to the quadratus lumborum, which is almost on the side, and it's a Xiaoyang muscle. And so treating those Taiyang, treating Taiyang all day long, back in the old days in China, the cold would just drain the kidneys of these individuals, and they would have low back pain due to the kidney. But that's not what we see. You know, we see other cause of disease, strain, lifting, twisting, strain, and it's not a kidney problem. And so treating the bladder and the kidney till the cows come home doesn't really do much in my experience. Now, maybe other people get great results with that, but I would say the number one reason why people come to my apprenticeship program is 
in about three or four or five years of practice, they come in and they say, I've been doing bladder 23, bladder 25, bladder 40, bladder 60. It's not working. And I need a different perspective because, because things aren't really clinically uh, resolving as I thought they would. And I'm a really good student and I've studied hard and I'm doing everything that I was taught, but it's not working the way. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. There, there always comes that point where we've got these maps in our head, you know, or these ideas and they kind of work, but then at a certain point, it, it's like you have to throw the map away and start navigating with a compass. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And it sounds like the compass that you use is various uh, orthopedic testing and really paying attention to what is connected to what. Yeah. Visual, um, postural assessment, uh, palpation, literally palpating along a muscle, trying to find if there's a bursa that's inflamed or rolling across a tendon to see if there's a tendon problem. But yeah, uh, orthopedic testing, manual muscle testing, visual observation and palpation with my hands to find out where the problem is. Yeah, going to the source, using, using the body to assess the body. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I learned something early on. I was very fortunate to learn this early on from a nurse practitioner that I worked with. And I was really struggling with a case. And she looked at me and she said, Whit, you're thinking that this patient has a really rare, strange and peculiar disease. (laughs) And you're trying to be the hero to figure out what the diagnosis is. And you're going to come up with something that none of the other specialists could come up with. Yeah, dude, your your house. Yeah. (laughs) But statistics would say that in 80 to 90% of the time, the patient will present with a very typical and common disease or condition and present with atypical symptoms. Mm-hmm. Which then tells you that, say, in, in, ortho, in, in treating pain and injury, we can narrow things down to 25 injuries that cover, you know, 80, 90 percent of all the problems we see. No matter how the patient presents, it's probably going to be one of these top 25 or 30 injuries or tissues or muscles or what have you, you know, because those are statistically where the stresses are and where the, where the the stagnations occur. And then once you learn that everything becomes so simple, you know, you could do it in your sleep. Well, you know, it makes so much sense. Uh, You know, we're, we're, we're sitting here having this conversation and I'm thinking to myself, partly because I'm kind of a lazy guy, I've always been sort of an 80-20 guy, right? I'm looking for that 20% of something that's going to get me 80% of the result that I'm looking for. Uh And I always chalk it up to being lazy, but I'm listening to you speak about this and I realize, but it's also true. I mean, it's so often 20% of the cases are, I'm sorry, 80% of the cases are probably going to cover 20% of the issues. 
Yeah, yeah. Right? You're you're brilliant. And you've got it figured out. Then you've just got to make sure you know what those twenty co- conditions or twenty percent. Right. You know, know when the exception shows up. Yeah, yeah. What are some things that tip you off that there's an exception? Uh, I'm not sure I can answer that question. I, I think I would have to hear that question within the context of 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 a specific, yeah something specific yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a little bit too. That's asking a little too much of me. I don't think I can. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's so. And for me, this is the difference between theory and practice because. You know, we can have these nice ideas, but really it's it, it's the nitty gritty where the stuff comes together. And, and so speaking of that, you know, when you were talking about earlier about, you know, treating the lumbar back pain with the, you know, the usual sets of points, what about like the Jingwell points on the tendinomuscular channels? And what about things like the Sheikhlef points that are supposedly so famous for treating pain? Mm-hmm. How do you see those playing in our modern acupuncture world these days? I start with always considering bleeding a well point of the meridian or meridians involved. That's the first step that I, I think of. Even if it's just going to clear off a level of stagnation in the tendinomuscle meridian on the more surface of the body, it's a start. And many patients will kind of go, oh, that feels better. How do you do that? It doesn't get all the way down to maybe a tendon to bone junction. That might be too deep for the tendon to muscle meridian. But I very much like uh, to start, if, if applicable and if, if, if indicated, bleeding one or more Jingwell points. I like to bleed with a lancet and I like 10 drops of blood. So that's, that's what I do with the Jingwell point. But yeah, it's the first thing that I think of after I've made this orthopedic or I've made this assessment and I know what tissue is involved. And then I have translated that tissue into the right meridian. So that for, for instance, if it's a, a disc issue with pain going down the gallbladder channel, but the problem is in the spine, I, I'm not bleeding the gallbladder channel Jingwell point because that's not where the problem is. The problem is in the spine, you know. So you you do have to make sure with referred pain you're not bleeding a Jingwell point of where the referred pain is. You want to bleed the Jingwell point where the stagnation and injury is. And so often it's the same, you know, in the case of like shin splints anterior shin splints, it's stomach 45. It's right along the stomach meridian. And, you know, it's, it's a no brainer, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes with referred pain, it can get a little more complex. So you have to make sure you, you do that right. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they were feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, 
heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. You got to make sure you're on the right meridian. You're not. You're not. Absolutely. Getting, you're not following some red herring. Yeah, not where the pain is, but where you go the, for where the problem is. Yeah, yeah. And then the uh, then you mentioned uh, the she clap points. Really, after bleeding the Jingwell point, I'll usually look to see if there's an empirical point of some some tr- other trick that might work. An empirical point, Lingu Dabai or. Yao Tong Shui or, you know, any of any of those type of points, uh, people who've studied with Master Dong system, they, they have tons of options there. So I'll often try that before I start needling into the local area, because it gives you a chance for them to move it while the needle is in the empirical point or the opposite side or something. But once I've exhausted, like the she cleft point, the empirical points and the Jing well point, then it gets into local and adjacent. And that's where 70% of the time the treatment will evolve to include the local and adjacent points. Right. So it sounds like you kind of work from the edges into the center. Exactly. And I, and, and I learned that the hard way a number of times. A number of times. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than once, for sure. You got to get swatted on the head a few times. But it was during the uh, the pre-Olympic period in Los Angeles, 1984, and I had a, a British tennis player who had pain around San Jiao 4, so on the dorsal surface of the hand, on the extensor tendon around San Jiao 4, and he had had surgery to have a sheath release and they tried to get away, get out, you know, all the, the fibrotic tissue from the problem. And I was so sure that there was still stagnation in that wrist. And I was threading tendons along the, uh, threading needles along the tendons and trying all these tricks and, you know, doing these strategic little cups and stuff. And little cups were not that easy to find back in 1983, you know. And I treated him four or five times and nothing happened. And finally, I I just got desperate. I went, I've got to fix this guy, you know. So I thought, oh, well, I remember upper lower treatment. So there you have treat the wrist with the ankle. So I went to the opposite side ankle. Sanjiao 4 is the yuan source point. So I went to gallbladder 40 yuan source point. On the opposite side, I put a needle into gallbladder 40. He moved his wrist and all the pain and all the decreased range, all the range of motion improved within 15 seconds. And it was just miraculous. And so he came back about three weeks later and said, oh, that treatment worked wonderfully. It's just starting to come back. 
but he came in and talked to me before he kind of signed in. He said, I just want to make sure all you're going to do is needle that point down in the ankle. You know, I don't want you to do any of this other stuff up in the wrist. You know, I know what works and that's all I want you to do. So it was so funny. The patient was just going to keep me from being so diligent that I was going to do bad treatment. He knew what good treatment was. And and so I treated him maybe three times and it fixed it. And it went completely against my belief system that that kind of thing had local stagnation and you can't get to it with the distal point. And, you know, so that's why that you said outward to inward or from distal to local that's why I kind of have this flow chart or this list that I can always look at. I have this in writing. It's in my book. And I have this, this progression of 10 techniques going from the Jingwell point to the local point. And I'm always looking at that just in case I think I'm smarter than the system. And so I'll look and I'll make sure that I at least consider the opposite side or upper lower or what what have you. So I don't miss something thinking I'm going to go right to the local because I know that'll fix it. It usually does, but it doesn't always. It doesn't always. Well, you know, you no. bring up you bring up the thought about belief system. And I think we all are benefited and challenged by this, right? Because we've got ideas and often the ideas work or they work to some degree. But then there's the times where we've got a belief about something. We think it goes a certain way, but it, you know, but it really doesn't and we it takes being wrong and somehow okay enough with being wrong that we can set that belief aside and pivot or try something different or you know, something I, I read in Witt's book or something you know like this uh, thing you gave us from the Huang uh, Di Neijing earlier about needling directly to where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. So often we have to switch, and it, and it makes me think about – here at the conference, you're presenting on a contrarian approach to treating low back pain. I kind of like contrarians for some reason. I don't know why. I'm curious to know, how do you go, and, and this gets into belief system, I think, but how do you go about developing a contrarian eye that helps you to get over beliefs or vision or ideas that just just need to be gotten over or set down or viewed from a different way. How do you develop that contrarian eye? Um, I think this gets back to one of your earlier questions about this battle we're fighting with the culture that we live in that sometimes is very detrimental to our mental, physical, and emotional and spiritual well-being. And so for me, I think What's most important is that the, the practitioner needs to have a, a discipline. Uh, and I personally think meditation is probably the most effective. For me, I'm a longtime meditator, and, and that's what meditation is, is you, you, you're just sitting in this moment or you're sitting with the breath or what have you. And all you do is practice every time you start making the list of what you're going to do or what you're going to eat or who you forgot to call, you practice coming back to that focal point of the breath or what have you. And it's a very useful skill 
to help one in looking at the patient fresh every time. I'm looking at this as like this is the first time we've ever seen each other. And I'm going to look at this fresh to see if I can develop what I need to develop and assess and treat the way I need to treat to help this person. So I think the discipline is in the mind of the practitioner. And, and I think it's really essential that, that this be the case. I don't talk about it at all in my training programs. I don't tell people they should meditate. I never even hardly bring it up. But I think it's probably the most important thing. And so from that place of being able to to have this fresh look at things, then you can start to develop a, a clinical experience that's effective. And in the case of the back, it bladder 23, bladder 25, bladder 40, bladder 60 didn't work. The Huato Jiaji points didn't work. The dew points along the vertebral center line didn't work. And so I had to kind of go, okay, if I'm honest with myself, this is not working very well. And thereby, then let's develop something else. And nobody else is telling me to do this. Nobody else. And that's what makes it contrarian is that you, you, you have to jump into the river without anybody else there. You have to be willing to be hanging in the abyss, you know, and it's the only way that you're ever going to be good is you've just got to hang in the abyss with terrifying loneliness and extraordinary terror of, of failing because you're doing something that's just not what they told you to do. Yeah. Well, and it sounds too, sometimes it's recognizing the failure that we're already in the middle of. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and waking up to that and then finding something else. Well, Whit, I so appreciate your time, taking some time out here at the conference to uh, speak with me and to share this with the listeners of Geological. Uh, any closing comments that you'd like to leave us with before we uh, get back to the activities around here? Whoa, closing comments. Well, certainly we're, we're so pleased that so many people, so many practitioners want to look at this community that we've formed here of anatomical, orthopedic, and sports medicine practitioners. And they're all different. The orthopedic practitioners are different from the the sports medicine acupuncturist in certain ways, you know, but we all share uh, a common basis of needing to know something about anatomy and, and movement, our assessment and treatment plans. And that is not articulated in Chinese medicine as the dictates that we get from what's translated into English or even what's still only in in Chinese. But to me, it's so important because as we began this conversation of how different my patients are now from 1981, when I first started practice, imagine how different we all are from 1072, the year of the bronze statue 
and the compendium of the bronze statue where all the acupuncture points were presented in their entirety, uh, except for extraordinary points that were added after that. So that's over a thousand years and I'm seeing change in 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things are different and we have to question and we have to question Chinese medicine while we still love it. And we love the dictates of Chinese medicine, but we have to understand that it's not perfect and it needs to be added to. And what we're doing with an anatomical orthopedic and a sports approach is that we're just adding this incredible breadth to to Chinese medicine and especially acupuncture. We're not creating a new acupuncture. We're just adding to the centuries old lineage that we've all been able to tap into and, and to be part of. And so I'm very appreciative that so many people would come to this conference because they too are looking for community. They've had their failures and felt alone. And sometimes the texts don't tell them what they need to know to fix something because it's a modern something that needs a different point of view. And so everybody is looking uh, and the community is completely open. There's, There's nobody in charge. There's not a boss. There's not a guru. There's just a number of people that range from teachers to students. And eventually the students will be the teachers as all that goes forward. It's a, it's a beautiful system. Well, there's a lot of lit up people here. Yeah. Whit, thank you so much. And I'll see you around the conference. Good. Thank you, Michael, very much. You're doing wonderful work uh, and keep it up. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm